What a gift to see all these young children here today and how fitting it is on Palm Sunday to have them singing Hosanna. If you think back with me very quickly to the scriptures, even the scripture we will read together today. Jesus was making his way into the temple having come from down in the valley. And there was a great crowd that had joined him. We call it the triumphant entry. And he made his way up this incredible ramp in the eastern gate in the mercy gate and into the temple court and the scribes and the pharisees met him there and they chastised him do you hear what they're saying they're calling you a king they're saying that you've come in the line of david they're shouting hosanna you save us do you not hear not just your disciples but their children the youngest among them they are praising you and worshiping you and jesus responds Did you not know that out of the mouth of babies and infants and young children, God has ordained praise? We got to be a part of that this morning. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, parents, for being here this morning, children for being here this morning. My name is Stedman Harrison. Uh, I've served here as an elder in the past. It's been a great privilege to be a teacher and a worship leader. Uh, I often find myself down at Deborahite, so IEC South. Um, Steve Winstead, our pastor, is at IEC East this morning, worshiping there. So it's a great gift to bring a Palm Sunday message to you. Before we come to the Word of God, I love telling stories that ground us and sort of position us in the place that we need to be before we go to the Word. Can I tell you a story? Thank you. So this is a story from my very first visit here 16 years ago in 2005. I came as a short-term missionary, a short-term visitor, like many of you probably are. I came with hopes to see some of the projects that I had heard about. And I was staying at a guest house just around the corner from here, very close to the same church. I had a contract taxi set up for the day, and my contract taxi driver took me to Osco, So if you know up around that corner of town, it used to feel like Osco was a small village outside of Addis Ababa. Now Addis has grown and encompassed Osco. But I took the taxi driver out there and he was very kind to show me where I was gonna go to get in the gate. I was going to Mother Teresa's home. She had done an amazing work to serve many young children that had HIV and AIDS. It was an amazing gift that she had provided in terms of a backdrop of care. And I spent the day there. My taxi driver said, you can call me, but there's another option to get back. If you just come back to this spot, you'll find many, uh, many buses at the end of the day. And you can just listen for where you're staying. He said, the name of the place that you're staying is Tor Hailuch, Tor Hailuch, the tip of the spear. And I thought, I can hold on to that. I can remember Tor Hailuch. So at the end of my day, having said goodbye to some of the wonderful people working in Osco at Mother Teresa's home, I came back. The minibuses had multiplied. There were, it seemed like, hundreds of them. And I found myself sort of walking through, listening for Tor Hailuch, Tor Hailuch. And all I heard was, bole, 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 bole. I could not find my place. And I must have looked confused. There was some person who came out of the crowd and began to talk to me. Now, if you don't know where I come from, they teach us to not trust strangers. 
So when someone comes out of a crowd, and even if they have good intentions, they sort of break your personal bubble, I put my hand on my belongings, and I'm sort of looking to get away. But this man was persistent, and he said, no, no really, I want to help you. Where are you trying to go? And I said, oh, I'm trying to make it back to Tor Hailuch. And he said, oh, follow me. We made our way through the minibuses, and he said, don't you hear it? And I said, hear what? Torluch, 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 Torluch. And I said, that's where I'm going? And he said, yes, yes, come. And he helped me get on the minibus, but he got on with me. I said, are you going to the same place? And he said, no, but I want to make sure you get to your place safely and in good care. He said, I, I want to come with you and I want to pay for your ride. And I was like, no, 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 trying to talk him out of it. He was persistent. And we rode back from Osco to Torhailuch. He told me that his name was Gabriel. And he asked me, he said, Stedman, what do you think of our country? What comes to mind? What are your mental models? And again, this was my very first visit. And I said, I have to own that the newsreels from the 1980s gave me an impression. I thought that Ethiopia was a dusty desert place. I thought of it as a place where famine was in every corner. I said, I didn't expect to see so many things that I've seen and learned, even on this short trip. And he said, Stedman, I'm paying for your ride today, and I want you to, to pay this forward. He said, I want you to be sure to tell people and to help change their mental models, change their mindset. Tell them that we in Ethiopia are a generous people, that we take care of the foreigner, that we serve our guests in powerful ways. Would you know that I have told that story of Gabriel helping me out to more than 10,000 people outside of this country. And I bring it back to us today for a purpose. We need to have our mental models shaped and changed continuously. Jesus, on this amazing day that we call the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, was still working to change the minds of his disciples, helping them see what he was really about as a king. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to open the Word of God and read for us, and I want us to set our minds now on things above. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I say again, hallowed be thy name. Awesome are you, God. Thank you. Thank you for creating us, for setting in motion a plan and a purpose to redeem us, for drawing us closer to yourself making a way possible for our sins to be forgiven. Lord, we need our eyes to be opened and our ears to be opened, our hearts softened this morning. That is a spiritual work, and it's only something that you can accomplish. So as I speak the word this morning, as I share what you've helped me prepare, Lord, I pray that your message would be heard by your people. Please, this morning, change us. Set our minds, as we just said, on things above, for Christ is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Bless us during this time of study together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our tradition here at International Evangelical Church is to stand for the reading of the word. Would you stand with me this morning? I think it's going to be on the screen behind me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and I'm going to be reading just a short passage from Mark. Why Mark? We've been in a Lenten study, and the Lenten study was grounded in Mark. And so Steve asked me, Stedman, would you continue our, our look at Palm Sunday from a reading from Mark? And so I'm going to pick up in chapter 10 with this powerful verse in verse 45 and following. 
Here's the word of the Lord for us today. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called him. He said, call him to me. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up to his feet and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. So I was sharing with some friends. I have taught on Palm Sundays before, and something has always puzzled me, and this time around, I decided I would chase it down. And that is the palms and palm branches that we wave, that the children waved this morning, that in another couple of weeks as we celebrate Palm Sunday with our Ethiopian family, we will see all over the streets. Why palms? This is the thing that puzzled me. I know the landscape of Israel well. In seminary, I studied and I thought about Bethany, this little town outside and the mountaintop of the Mount of Olives. And I know from my understanding that there's no palm branches up on top of mountains. There's no palm branches this day, or even way back then, on top of high places. Palm branches are found in valleys near water. And so it disturbed me somehow when I read in John that the people had cut these branches and had come from the surrounding fields and were waving palm branches and laying them down in the tracks for Jesus to walk over. It was like a Timket. So imagine Timket, a beautiful picture where all of those runners are going and rolling out the red carpet and the priests carrying the ark with the beautiful umbrellas over their heads are proceeding towards the church and the people are all watching and and celebrating. It was that kind of a picture on this day that we call the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But I'm wondering, where are the palm branches coming from? And so as I looked at Mark, my eyes were opened, and I want you to be a partaker in this, that if we roll back a little bit, you can see where the palm branches are coming from. So I want us to look back, chapter 10, verse 32. If you have your Bible, follow with me. Verse 32 says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Jesus has already a group of people following him out of the Galilee. They've come following the Jordan River. And they're now entering a historic town. This town called Jericho. 
the people are following, he brings his disciples close by and he makes it extremely clear what's about to happen when they go up the mountain into Jerusalem. And he says this, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. These friends that were following Jesus are already starting in what we would call this triumphal entry. It took days to go through the towns on the way from the Galilee up to Jerusalem. And they're going to pass through Jericho, one of the lowest places on planet Earth. They're going to pass just by the corner of the Dead Sea and make their steep way up from the lowest point on Earth up into the mountain that we call today Jerusalem, the city of David where Jesus is going to walk up that ramp and through that eastern gate and make his first footstep on this path that we call Passion Week. We're beginning that celebration today. If you're taking notes and I see people who are writing things in journals, I want to give you the sermon up front. So this is the sermon this morning. It is clear to me that we have to understand triumph. When we look at what we're reading today, and we just think about the words that I just spoke, it seems like tragedy. Tragedy. The Son of Man is going to go to this place. He's going to be accused. He's going to be told that He will be crucified. He will be mocked and spat on, flogged, which is a terrible, terrible beating. And He will be crucified and He will die. This seems tragic and not triumphant. But we know as believers in Christ, followers in the way, that what we're going to see soon is that Jesus is going to triumph over sin. He's going to triumph over death. We know that the resurrection is looming large even as we enter this week we call Holy Week, Passion Week. We know what's ahead. But for these friends that were looking towards this, their minds were still confused. And so here's the three-part sermon. He's going to have a conversation with James and John. And he's going to have triumph over selfishness, replacing it with other-mindedness. He's going to have a conversation with Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, who is broken. And Jesus will have triumph over his brokenness, and then we will replace that with readiness to follow in the way. We're going to see Jesus send his disciples ahead and ask for a donkey to be brought to him. And as the owners let go of their prized possession, we will see that Jesus replaces materialism, holding tight to the things that we've been gifted, with stewardship. Jesus will triumph this morning in many ways, and I want us to understand this as we look at the Word of God. So three quick stories. The first story is that just having concluded what Jesus said about going up to Jerusalem, and some people fearing and thinking about what lies ahead, Two of these disciples step forward brashly and ask Jesus, Master, teacher, give us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus responds with this incredibly powerful question. What do you want me to do for you? We're going to hear it again. What do you want me to do for you? And in their brashness, they say, Oh, when you come into your glory, we want to be seated on your left and on your right. Will you do this for us? 
And Jesus has to explain to them that they have no idea what they're asking for. He already sees ahead the path into the temple, the path throughout the week, and a cross that is awaiting for him. That's where he's going to receive his glory, and there will be a man to his right and a man to his left who will be crucified alongside of him. That will be his glory moment as he again is victorious over sin and victorious soon over death. And he says to them, you don't know what you're asking. You may not even be able to drink of the cup that I'm prepared to go and drink. The passage closes out with this powerful refrain, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served. You are not going to be seated on a throne. I am not going to be, as a king in your mindset, seated in some sort of glory that mankind would understand. I'm preparing myself for the ultimate service, the ransoming of your souls. I go before you to lay down my life, and I am going to a place that you are not prepared yet to go. In fact, he says to them, you will, in fact, drink of this cup that I'm about to drink of. And you can think about the futures of James and John, distinct followers, disciples of Jesus that come in his footsteps and follow in the way. In this moment, Jesus transforms the idea in their minds and transforms our understanding of glory being a thing of selfishness, and he moves it to other-mindedness. I'll plant this seed. After Holy Week, we will be coming back to Philippians. We're going to look at Philippians 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, paint a beautiful picture of the mind of Christ that we have access to. We, too, can be obedient. We, too, can be servants. And so this passage begs a question of us. If we move from selfishness to other-mindedness, who are we serving? What are we doing to serve? And we'll come back to that. So that's the first point. The second point, it has to do with this beautiful picture of Bartimaeus. So again, Jesus enters, and we saw that he was out front of the crowd. But as he moves into Jericho, this city that is at a low place next to the Dead Sea, perhaps the lowest place on earth, a city that you and I should remember from our childhood growing up, a town where the walls came tumbling down. It's been rebuilt. There's a village there at the time of Jesus. There's a city there today. In fact, can I tell you a quick aside, another short story. I got a call this morning from a friend. He and I were talking back and forth. He serves in Jordan. And I said to him, hey, I'm preparing for a sermon today. I'm preaching on Palm Sunday from Mark chapters 10 and 11. I'm going to talk about where the triumphal entry really begins. Actually, back in Jericho and not up on the mountain, the Mount of Olives. And he said, Stedman, you'll never believe where I am today. I am in Jericho. I'm on the edge of the Dead Sea. I'm looking around at all of the palm branches, and I'm thinking about this Palm Sunday, and I'm remembering what took place at this moment in history. A low place, the lowest place on earth, a place where the walls had come tumbling down, and we find a blind beggar, and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing through the town. There's a crowd out front proclaiming already this processional, Hosanna, save us. And he gets caught up in it, sitting on the sides of the street. And he finds himself unable to contain himself, shouting, 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are saying, be silent, be quiet. You're distracting. And he can't be silenced. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, unlike so many other people who might pass by, calls him out. Call him to me. And blind Bartimaeus jumps to his feet, throwing off his outer garments, rushing to Jesus. And Jesus asks that same question that he asked of James and John. What would you have me do for you? But Bartimaeus doesn't respond with, let me sit on your right hand. He says, I need restoration. I need to recover my sight. Help me recover my vision. Let me see. And Jesus, in that moment, says, your faith has made you well. Go on your way. And what we see in Bartimaeus' life is that his way, his own Bartimaeus way, is no longer sufficient. We see at the end of that passage, he is following in the way. He follows Jesus up the mountain to Jerusalem. He was likely there as they walked into that great gate, the eastern gate, shouting, Hosanna. And he was celebrating his sight being recovered, being restored. He was likely there through the days that followed and likely there upon the resurrection, perhaps even seeing Jesus after he was resurrected when Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, the followers that were still faithful. What an amazing gift that we see the picture of the gospel in Bartimaeus. We're going to come back to that. I want to paint that picture very clearly. But in this moment, Jesus triumphs over brokenness. He replaces it with readiness. And Bartimaeus is ready now to follow in the way. We're moving from the lowest place on earth up a mountaintop through a little town called Bethany. And as Jerusalem comes into sight, as this beautiful white-walled city is visible, Jesus sends two disciples ahead and he says, go and ask of the people in the village ahead for the donkey that is waiting there. Release the donkey and bring it to me. And if they ask you anything, tell them this, that the master has need of it. The Lord has need of it. And so we find two disciples going ahead, fulfilling what Zechariah 9.9 tells us. They scoot through the crowd. They have to get out in front of the crowd. In this passage in Zechariah chapter 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The passage is fulfilled as they go and they ask for a donkey from someone who's in the village ahead. And rather than arguing with them, the owners of this donkey say, yes, take, take. And they take this donkey and they take it back to Jesus. And he walks into Jerusalem looking somewhat like a king, but riding on a donkey and not on a chariot. He is redefining moment by moment what triumph looks like. He is changing the mindset and replacing an older vision of what glory will look like. The people are shouting, Hosanna, save us, son of David, come into your kingdom. And he's seated on a donkey with the palm branches from Jericho being tossed down in front of him, just like a Timket celebration. But I want us to focus on this family that lived in the village ahead that owned the donkey. This is not a time of cars. There were no minibuses 
running around Jerusalem at the time. A donkey would have been the most prized possession, perhaps, that a family could have owned. If we were preaching this message in Manhattan, New York this morning, it might fall on deaf ears. If we were preaching this passage in London, England, people might not understand. But we're preaching it in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And friends, you see donkeys out in the road. You understand what I mean. Imagine a city where that was the mode of transport, that was the mode of getting things from point A to point B, and it was the only thing that people really had. Outside of their households, they had very little other things that we have accumulated if we look out to our parking lot this morning full of beautiful cars. He's asking for a donkey that has never been ridden before. This is like asking for the keys to a brand new car. Let that sink in. This family either knows Jesus or knows of him by reputation, and they say, here are the keys. Please take it and let the Lord use it. The Lord is a capital L in this passage. The Lord has need of it. What you have in your hands is required by God, the master of your master, the owner of your owner. And the people have no argument. They say, please, take. And we see that he rides in on this incredible picture of a prophecy fulfilled. In this moment, Jesus transforms an older understanding. He has triumph over what you and I might call materialism, holding tight the gifts that we should be stewarding well and wisely. Jesus requires stewardship, and this family are good stewards. And the Lord is able to fulfill this prophecy, and he comes into his kingdom, but not a kingdom like you and I might expect. There are questions that the text beg of us. And so I just want to go back and apply this very quickly. The text is asking of you and I, who are you going to serve? When Jesus asks us the question as existing disciples, what do you want me to do for you? It should no longer be about the things that we want, but we should be looking at our lives and saying, what can we do? How do we follow in the same footsteps that you, Lord Jesus, have already laid out ahead of us? How do we serve? How do we lay down our lives? What does it look like, us the ransomed, to make our lives an example for those who are yet to be ransomed out there in the world? As we move to the story of Bartimaeus, again, the question is loud. What do you want me to do for you? This is for a person who is not yet a disciple. This is a beautiful, glorious picture of the gospel. Listen to me this morning. If you do not know Jesus as Lord and as Savior, look to Bartimaeus, your representative. Broken, blind, and begging, seated on the side of the street, dusty and forlorn, lonely and set aside. He is at the lowest possible place on planet Earth, next to the Dead Sea in a town called Jericho, a town known for its walls that came tumbling down. The picture should be powerful in our minds. This is a man in need of salvation. And he is crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. We repeat prayers like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is a sinner's prayer that you should know and you should repeat frequently. It is for me like breathing. When I don't know what to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I repeat it over and over again. Not that it become meaningless, but it is a place to start in our prayers at all times. And this man cries out in prayer, and Jesus stops in his tracks. 
He stops a parade that is motioning its way up the mountain towards Jerusalem, and he saves. He restores. He steps forward and he provides recovery. How are you today broken? Do we not find ourselves, even as Christians, following in the way in a place that is yet unpure and unperfect? We are still broken. This man needed to be set on the path. Jesus heals him. He tells him that his faith has made him well. And he tells him to go on his way. Go on your way. But the man's life has been transformed. Bartimaeus, he is given a name, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. We don't hear the names of most of the people that Jesus heals along the sides of the streets. We don't know the name of the woman who reached out to just touch Jesus' garment. But in this case, he is given a name in the scriptures and remembered because he becomes a follower of Jesus in the way. Friends, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We will be remembered. We will be known by the Lord Jesus by name if we follow after him in the way. How are you broken? Come to the Lord Jesus even this morning. Think about what he's about to do in the Passion Week on your behalf, setting down his life, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. He did it for Bartimaeus. He does it for us today. We find in this last chapter again another question. There's a family in a small village who are unnamed, but who have something precious, a donkey in their hands. And the disciples come and they say, the Lord has need of it. Friends, what are you holding on to today? What possession do you have? What talent, what gift do you have? How is it that you need to let go of the thing that you might be tempted to hold tight because the Lord has need of it today? The Lord, the master of your master, the owner of your owner is saying, I need what you have for my kingdom's sake, for the good that is going to be done through you, and I will bring it back. Trust him today, the thing that you might say, oh, I fear letting go. I fear that I might never see it again. That family let go of their brand new, beautiful car that day. Here's the keys. We trust you. Do what needs to be done. A donkey was used. It fulfilled the prophecies. God is asking us the same questions today. This is a beautiful picture. It's a start of Holy Week. We realize that Jesus is going to go up this incredible ramp in history, through a gate, the eastern gate, into the temple courtyard, a gate called Mercy. The people will be shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us! We don't hear that many times in the scriptures. It's only here in the Gospels, only at the triumphal entry, and only in Psalm 118 that we hear these words, save us, save us. I am conscious as I look back on history that my Lord, my Savior, had the words of Bartimaeus echoing as he made his way up that steep mountain. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He heard it every step that he walked. Have mercy on me. As he saw Jerusalem for the very first time on this approach, he was weeping as the people were shouting, Hosanna, save us. Why is our king weeping? Because he realizes that he needs to be obedient to the call, that he's going to go ahead and be turned over to the scribes and the Pharisees, that he will be turned over to the Gentiles, flogged, spat upon, mocked, and eventually crucified in order that he is victorious and triumphant over sin and over death once and for all. Hosanna, 
save us. I believe it echoed in his mind throughout every difficult decision that he had throughout the week that followed. Friends, let Hosanna echo over you this week. As we leave this place and as we proceed through Passion Week and as we look back at the calendar in history, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Those are the things that allowed Jesus to keep his eye on the goal, on the prize, to actually go to his glory and complete the great call that God had for him as the only son of God who would be set aside on our behalf for our salvation. People will argue that this passage and even this thing that we do with the calendar is not necessary. It's not necessary in the sense that we don't need to follow a calendar from Europe or a calendar from Ethiopia to be reminded of what the Gospels tell us of. We should do that as Christians without a calendar. We don't need holy days, holidays, to be able to go back to this. But I will say to you that the Word of God by itself and of itself illustrates strongly enough that we should meditate on it even annually in a deep and powerful way. Do you realize that half of each of the Gospels, half of them, each one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are dedicated to these moments, to these particular steps that Jesus takes, up through the resurrection and his appearance and, and to the people afterwards. This is the recorded history that we have as Christians. Acts follows and teaches back to it, and the New Testament letters tell us what it is to follow in the way, and they build on the foundation that we find in these passages. Palm Sunday, in the harmony of the Gospels, finds its way into all four accounts. Go back this week, read it, meditate on it, and see the ways in which Jesus Christ is triumphant over sin and death and over things like selfishness, like this idea of brokenness, and like materialism. There are ways that we yet have to be changed. Let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the children's voices that opened us up to the remembrance of this amazing triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, that we can call out this morning, Hosanna, save us, that we can look back in history and recount what these words mean. Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. We ask of you, please have mercy on us today. Continue to right the wrongs in our lives. Transform us as we ask these questions. Help us be servants. Help us, Lord, to be recovered and restored so that we might follow more fully in the way that you have set. And Lord, help us hold lightly the things that you've placed in our hands. Open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. Give us soft hearts to be changed. And if there's anyone here who has not followed after Christ fully, may this be the day of salvation. I pray it in the powerful and able name of Jesus. Amen.